So Merry Christmas. It's a great time of year. You know, it's all always fun to celebrate. And, uh, you know, Christmas is just a hugely important holiday in the Christian calendar. And today, again, we're going to look at some of the Old Testament holidays from the Bible. Christianity, especially in, in today's world, we basically, we've got you know, Advent, which is the Christmas season, you know, and some people do that differently. Some people light candles and do different things. We're going to light all our candles at once on Tuesday, and uh, that'll be the Christmas Eve candlelight service, traditional Christmas Eve service. That'll be a lot of fun. Then, of course, there's Holy Week with Easter, you know, from Palm Sunday to Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then uh, Resurrection Sunday, all that. Those are our two major things. And then, you know, a lot of churches do communion on a regular basis. We do that once a month. The first weekend of every month, we'll do communion. That's something that we're to do in remembrance of what Jesus has done. And then even just uh, Sunday services, weekend services, that's a, a weekly special day. And these are things we have in the the New Testament times are in the uh, in the Christian time, and let's look at this in the Old Testament, ancient Israel. Seven important holy days or holidays in the uh, in the Old Testament. We're going to run through this fairly quickly. Leviticus chapter twenty-three. Verses 1 through 3 for the intro. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. So he's talking about, there's going to, he's going to explain all of these different holy days, these, uh, these different uh, feasts and festivals, and he starts with remembering the Sabbath rest. So a weekly sacred assembly, a weekly time that the people are to get together and honor God, keep themselves aligned with God. Now let's jump into the first two, verses four through eight. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So this is Passover and unleavened bread. And there is a significance in the history of the nation of Israel to these two. Passover is a remembrance of the plague of the firstborn that allowed the nation of Israel to get out of bondage to Egypt. So if you remember, Moses went to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, no. And, and they went back and forth a bunch of times and God did a bunch of plagues and Pharaoh would change his mind and his heart would be hardened and they go back and forth. And finally, the last plague, the one that allowed the nation of Israel to break free from bondage in Egypt was the plague of the firstborn. And that was a plague where the destroying angel would come through and kill the firstborn in every house unless... 
there was a lamb sacrificed and the blood of that lamb was put on the doorposts, then the destroying angel would pass over that house and no one would die in that home. So the Israelites all put the blood on their doorposts and they were passed over. But everyone in Egypt from Pharaoh to the slave girl, their firstborn was destroyed that night. And that's when the nation of Israel was able to leave their bondage of over 400 years in Egypt. Then immediately after Passover begins the feast of unleavened bread because they would eat the Passover. They were instructed to eat the Passover with their staff in their hand, sandals on their feet and their shirt tucked into their belt. And they're going to eat and run. You know, that's how they're going to do it. So then the next seven days is unleavened bread. And this is to commemorate the fleeing from Egypt. You know, they didn't have time to let the bread rise and that sort of thing. And God symbolized this by saying, get all the yeast out of your house. And you're just going to eat unleavened bread because you're going to be on the run. You're going to be getting out of Egypt. So this is something that the nation of Israel was to remember that God had delivered them from their bondage in Egypt and he had brought them out. And that was the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread. Then we'll jump to first fruits nine through 14. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest. Bring the to the priest, a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect. Together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. So we're starting to see a pattern of lasting uh, ordinances for the generations to come. This is something that these festivals and holy days are there to help the nation of Israel remember things and to honor God in the midst of things. And this is the, the festival of first fruits. And so they would take the first sheave of grain in the barley harvest in the spring you know, they're a different climate than we are. They can grow stuff 12 months out of the year in the Holy Land area. And so they would have more than one harvest per year. And this is the spring barley harvest. They would bring the first sheep to the priest. He'd wave it and they'd go do all those offerings and all the things that are described there. But they weren't able to eat anything of the harvest until after they had done that. So they needed to honor God with the first fruits of their harvest. That's the first fruits in the spring. You notice their uh, Passover and unleavened bread. It was this day of the first month, you know, the 14th day and then the 15th day and that sort of thing. This one doesn't have a day. It's just whenever the harvest is ready. When the harvest is ready, you cut it. You wait till the day after the Sabbath, and then you do the first fruits, a holy day. Then 15 through 22. 
we have the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruit. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor, for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. The first fruits was the beginning of the harvest. This then is the end of the harvest. Everything's been brought in. You know, the, all the grain is in. It's been a great year and everybody's happy. And so there's a tremendous number of offerings, a tremendous number of sacrifices and things brought for the temple to make sure that the priests have food to eat and all that sort of thing. So this is a, a big, big event. It's the finish of the spring grain harvest. So honoring God in the midst of that, and then also making sure that they are inefficient in their harvesting practices. This was commanded by God, be inefficient in your harvesting practices. Why? Because that was the easiest way to give to the poor. Just leave some stuff in the field. They can go get it. The poor, the foreigners, those who are wandering through your area, let them have something they can go get. So don't cut to the edge and uh, just hit it once and whatever's left over, you leave for other people. This is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Again, a lasting ordinance, something that's there to help the people be aligned with God to remember. Then we jump to verse 23, the Feast of Trumpets. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. So not a whole lot of information on that one. On this particular day in the seventh month, blow a bunch of trumpets and it's going to be great. You know, uh, what does that mean? It's the seventh month and doing research on this, it's complicated stuff. You know, there, there's stuff that's very kind of confusing and hard to figure out with this because in modern day Israel, this is the new year. And here it says it's the seventh month. And so a lot of people think, well, the feast of trumpets is the new year festival, but uh, in ancient Israel, they had more than one new year. Apparently there was the the ecclesiastical new year, which started about the 1st of April, as you notice, Passover was 14th day of the first month. And that was the Passover that's in the spring and, you know, around the beginning of April because it's a solar slash lunar calendar, uh, very complicated stuff. Here we see it's the seventh month. And so a lot of people think this is the new year, but it's the new civic year. It's not the new ecclesiastical year. It's not the new 
new church year. It's the new civil year, uh, kind of like how we might have the calendar year, and then you've got your fiscal year. You know, those are different things. They had like four of those, and it's, it's very complicated when you're trying to figure all this stuff out. I'm not sure if this is a new year festival or that sort of a thing. Uh, at this time of year, there is a, another harvest that's coming. You know, there's a, a second harvest towards the fall, different fruits and different things like that. Again, very different climate than what we've got. Anyway, one thing that I noticed about trumpets, so I'm looking up in the Old Testament, what, what's the deal with trumpets? Why would they blow trumpets? And here's the, the big thing that I noticed about trumpets was they would blow trumpets basically to get God's attention. They would say, we're going into war, and they would blow trumpets to say, God, you got to help us out here. We're going into battle. And they'd blow trumpets. There were different offerings where they were required to blow trumpets before they made the sacrifice. Basically to say, hey, Lord, look what we're doing. We're, we're doing a sacrifice in your honor. And so the trumpets were a calling of God to notice and bless what the people were doing. And I think that has to be involved here in the Feast of Trumpets. It's a time of acknowledging God and inviting God's presence. And then that leads us into the next uh, holy day, which is the Day of Atonement. So let's keep reading, starting in verse 26, 26 to 32. The Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. That means to fast. So they're going to hold a sacred assembly and fast. Instead of a feast, this is a fast. And present a food offering to the Lord. So they don't get to eat, but they have to present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you, before the Lord your God. So this is the time of atonement for the for sins. They were to, to repent before God and to make atonement. So let's uh, keep reading this. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. So if you don't fast that day, you lose your citizenship. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do, do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. So again, we have a lasting ordinance. This is something people are supposed to remember. We have the days were also different. So when the sun went down, that was the end of the day. The new day began when the sun went down. So since it's from the evening of the one day to the evening of the next, that's that special Sabbath, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a, is a very interesting day. That's where scapegoat came from. You know about the scapegoat in the Old Testament? So it was really amazing stuff. So the, there was a whole bunch of stuff that they did, but one of the things they did was they took two goats, and you didn't want to be either one of these goats because the first one, they would sacrifice and they would sprinkle the blood around and, and do that as part of their ritual for cleansing. And then they would take the other goat and they would lay hands on it and proclaim all the sins of the nation of Israel and put them on this goat. And then they would let it free out in the wilderness to presumably die of exposure. That's what, that was the scapegoat idea. It's like you take somebody's sin, you put it on somebody else. And that's where the concept of scapegoat in our culture comes from. You know, somebody that we're just going to blame for everybody else's problems is a scapegoat. So that's from this day of atonement. And this was a time 
required fasting, a time of humbling yourself before God, a day of atonement. And then we get to the last one, verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offering and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the freewill offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, so this is where you get the indication that there's also a fall harvest besides just the spring grain harvest. After you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival of the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. Your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. That's a lot of stuff, right? It's not a bunch of details and like, it's amazing. What do we do with that? I just want to cover a few basic ideas. Let's make this generalizable so that we can do something with it. The first thing that that this chapter really shows us is that God wants us to commemorate and honor him and remember important events from historical events like Passover and then the the wandering in the desert, which is the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. It's where they had the temporary shelters to signify the 40 years of wandering in the desert in the temporary shelters. You know, remember these historical events and that God brought you through. And then honor God at the harvest times and these sorts of things. You know, honor God when things are going well. So these are designed to commemorate important events and celebrate. So they're lasting ordinances. Things were supposed to continue. Just like in the the New Testament and the Christian holidays, you know, Christmas, we want to remember that Jesus came, that he showed up here to to change the way this world worked. We want to remember the the crucifixion and the resurrection at Easter time. We want to remember what Jesus has done for us at communion. We want to celebrate who God is and what he's done for us and learn about him on our weekend services. So these were about commemorating important events and honoring God in different ways on a regular basis so we don't fade away from God. Then you notice there was a tremendous number of offerings that were designated at these special times. So there was the offerings for the regular Sabbaths and free will offerings, plus all these different offerings at all these different festivals and different times. And so it's just an amazing, amazingly detailed bunch of different offerings. So people were designated to give at these festivals. 
And then the other kind of big thing is it, it talked about bringing the people together. These were sacred assemblies. People were to come together and recognize that they're part of something bigger than themselves. They're part of the nation of Israel that God has blessed. And look, there's all of us. And at some of these different festivals, they could do them wherever they lived, but other ones, they had to come to Jerusalem you know, that was after Leviticus because they didn't know where the holy city would be at that time. But then once it was designated, they knew where to go and they would come from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate together. That's an important part of these holy holidays is bringing the people together in a great assembly so that they can see that they belong to something and they can, they can uh, just be part of that. And I think that's part of what we get as well. There's some interesting things that we're going to cover next week about Leviticus chapter 23. And you may have noticed that Passover is also in the New Testament. And we have a Passover lamb and Jesus is our Passover lamb. The apostle Paul talks about the feast of unleavened bread. We also see indications of tying Jesus to the first fruits. And then, of course, something rather important happened on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. And so we see how God has aligned certain things with these festivals. And then the fall ones are things that are designated to align with things that have yet to come. So with those fall ones, with the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then the, the Feast of Tabernacles, those are things that are yet to come. So we'll talk about that and God's grand master plan for history next week. It'll be interesting stuff. But let's continue. How well do you think the Israelites observed these holy days? Think they did a pretty good job? You know, like, because they, they seem to be rather detail-oriented people. They did like blowing trumpets. Apparently, they were noisy people. They made lots of noises. Uh, they, you know, they'd be mad. They'd throw dirt in the air and tear their clothes. And I mean, they were an interesting, very expressive group of people. So I imagine they enjoyed the trumpets and all these big festivals and all the noise and everything that came with it, the great celebrations and the times of humbling. And I, I would think they would do a really good job. But then we get to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and we see that they are just not doing it very well. And let's, let's read this, some scary scripture verses here, Isaiah chapter 1, 10 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Is this written to Sodom and Gomorrah? No, this is written to Israel. What's happening here? That's what God is doing through Isaiah to the nation of Israel. He's calling them Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they're not Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying, hey, you guys are acting wrong. You're messing this all up. And so he's basically insulting them in this, you know, seemingly passive aggressive way. And uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. So that's what's going on here. This isn't written to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's written to Israel and calling them out like they're acting like Sodom and Gomorrah. So verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? So who asked this? Didn't God ask this through Moses in Leviticus chapter 23? 
Well, the, the letter of the law was described in Leviticus 23, but God's looking for something in the heart, and they were failing to do the heart part. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. So what's being described here in Isaiah is that the people were following the rules and they were doing the rituals, but their hearts were very far from God. Their hands were full of blood. They were very willing to do evil, but they just followed the religious things to try to take care of the God part, but they didn't want to follow God in the heart of God, the ways of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God. They set that aside, but followed these rules. And that was not sufficient for God. Even in the Old Testament, even with regards to the rules laid out in Leviticus, we can see that God is about the heart. He's not about the action, the activity. He wants the activity to spark something in our hearts. He wants the, the festival and the, the Sabbath and the uh, events of the calendar, the holy calendar, to be things that bring us into a deeper remembrance of what God has done, a deeper honoring of what God God has done deeper thankfulness to build our relationship with God, not so that we can think that we've gotten it taken care of and now we can go our own way, but to help us draw closer to God. So what happened? How did it go from, from where Moses was giving the explanation of these festivals and holy days to where Isaiah is just railing on them for completely missing the point. Well, Judges 2, 8 through 13 happened. Let's take a look at this. It says this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So Joshua was the one who uh, was with Moses. He was one of the spies who went into the land to check out the promised land. And then they went and wandered in the desert for 40 years. Joshua, though, survived that because he had a right heart before God and he led the army of Israel into the promised land. They took the promised land and that was this Joshua. So he's 110. So he served with Moses, was younger than Moses, but served and was the main general that took the promised land. Uh, and now he dies at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, so all the generation that was around with Joshua, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them and aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. The next generation after Joshua just lost it. So this lasting ordinance for the generations to come, did it work? No. 
It was a miserable failure. Now, there was still some people that followed it. The way this sounds is like 100% were completely gone. No, there, there was a little echoing of this happening. You know, they still had the days, but nobody really paid attention to them. And uh, they didn't celebrate them everywhere. But in a few places, it sort of continued. And that was what was going on. They had lost connection with God and they had not benefited from what those holy days were supposed to bring to them, a lasting remembrance of the good things of God and honoring God, a humbleness before God. They had lost that. If that can happen to them, might that happen to us? Where we look at these holy days that we have, our holidays like Christmas and Easter, and then the the shorter term ones like communion and regular weekend services, where we can lose the point of what's going on in these holy holidays, in these Christian holidays. What can happen to us? You know, there's an interesting dynamic, which I'm going to call displaced worship. I don't know, probably somebody else has called it that, but displaced worship. I noticed long ago that there was a problem with organized religion, and it was primarily this. There's a tendency for organized religion to forget about worshiping God, but then just worship itself. It's like the church becomes more important than God. The denomination becomes more important than God. There's a displacement of worship, and God is kind of put off to the side. You know, people can think, oh, that preacher's really good. Well, who cares? Do you love Jesus? You know, that's the thing that matters. Is your heart right before God? It doesn't matter if you enjoy a church service or you enjoy somebody's teaching. And the same thing, I think, can happen with holidays. You know, Christmas is meant to help us remember the birth of Christ and God's intervention in this world. It's not that we are to worship Christmas and just think Christmas is awesome. If we displace our worship off of God and onto the holiday, then we're missing the point. It's just like worship with, uh, with instruments. It can turn from a way of honoring and worshiping God and drawing us in using music as a tool to bring us closer to God to becoming about the music. It can be a displacement of the worship. And so we need to make sure that we don't slip into a a displacement of worship and we start to worship the holiday. We start to set God aside and think that we're doing the right things because we're following the different rules or we're showing up for a Christmas service or an Easter service or things like that. So we need to make sure that we don't fall into the same trap and forget about God while we're running around doing Christian holidays. So we know what God thought as expressed through Isaiah about the holidays and the festivals of ancient Israel. What would you guess God thinks about our Christian holiday observances now? What do you think he thinks? You know, I I think there's some of this and some of that. What do you think he thinks about Black Friday? The commercialism and greed that has infiltrated somehow the birth of Christ. What do you think God thinks about Best Christmas Ever and Operation Christmas Child? I think he likes that. There are good things and there are things that that aren't good. What about traditional Christmas Eve candlelight services? Well, showing up for one isn't the most important thing, but holding that candle 
and honoring God in your heart and being brought close to God through that, that's valuable. But you don't get like an attendance check if your heart is far from God. It's about helping us remember who God is and bringing us into that relationship again. So I think in our modern Christian holy days, our holy holidays, that it's a bit of a mixed bag, but it's really up to you. You can make it meaningful or not. You can make it about realigning your heart with God or making grandma happy. You can, you can make it whichever. So it's up to you. So that's what we're going to focus on now is making sure that we get our heart right with God. One of the things you notice in the scriptures, especially if you're reading in the Old Testament, is there's some harsh stuff in there, but it doesn't just be harsh and then stop. There's harsh and then there's hope. So we just read all this scary stuff from Isaiah about how the Lord hates their festivals and their, he calls it trampling the courts and all this stuff. But then the next verse, verse 16 of Isaiah, 16 through 18, we see the turn. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So here we see the heart of God in the midst of it. It's not about making sure that you follow all those rules and you live in a tent for seven days. And I mean, that's, that's good. That's, that's doing what is said. But he wants us to seek justice, to defend people who can't defend themselves, to take up the cause of those who are hurting and who don't have opportunity, the uh, culture, the fatherless and the widow. In our culture, it can include the fatherless and the widow, but it also can include other people as well. So we see the heart of God in the midst of it. And then verse 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So here we have an obvious foreshadowing of the cross, showing that God isn't interested in making sure that we are punished and shamed for our sins. But his desire is that we turn and remember him. We turn and honor him. Whatever we've seen at this time of year, when there's all these different traditions, we call them traditions, you know, kind of alluded to it earlier. Some people, some churches have the different candles that they light at different times and all that stuff. And there's all these different things. And one of the things that can be a problem with the holiday season is religion can really take front and center stage and God can be pushed off to the side. Here's how we do it. Well, who cares how we do it? Do you love Jesus? Are you realigning yourself with God? Are you making a conscious effort to remember that God sent his son so that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life? Are we making this about God? So let's look in our hearts and let's make sure that we are aligning ourselves, not just with holidays or holy days or different traditions, but we're aligning ourselves to God. Let's remember what that baby in a manger means. Let's gather together as believers. Let's take our place and belong and realign ourselves with God. So we're going to pray. I want to pray for all of us that, that we wouldn't fall into the same mistake that those who were supposed to follow the festivals of Leviticus 23, we wouldn't lose the point, but that we would keep it. 
And I hope that you can remember that sermon where you heard all of Leviticus 23. And you can remember that. And every time a special event comes to not just do the event, but to connect with God. Let's pray. We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Let us not lose sight of you because of holidays or church services or traditions or denominations. You are good. You are glorious. You are wonderful. You are kind. You are loving. You are merciful. You are welcoming and open. And Lord, we honor you for that. And Lord, for all of us, help us to shed our sins and failures. Lord, we're sorry for how we've failed you, how we've failed others, how we've failed ourselves. Lord, help us to be free from the shame of our past so that we can be unhindered into our future. And Lord, guide us, help us to know you and walk with you, to love you so that we can be part of bringing justice and mercy and strength and goodness and light and joy into this world. So Lord, encourage us, give us strength and help us to see you and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.